bored. I wish I had something to do. <sighs> Thanks for letting me sleep in, kids. If you make a mess in the kitchen, please let me know so I can clean it up. Raising kids is so easy. I just love driving around all day. Oh, I never have to repeat myself. They always listen so carefully. Oh, look, an empty box of cereal. Love it. Just wipe it on your sleeve. It's pretty cold, but you don't need a coat. Oh, you don't have to push in your chair. Don't make your bed, you're just gonna sleep in it again later. I think I'll skip the coffee today. You know, these throw pillows look way better on the floor. I'm really not that busy. Well, you haven't showered in three days, but I think you smell great. We do have food at home, but let's just go out to eat. Just brush your teeth whenever you feel like it. Here, take my phone charger and go put it in your room. Oh, just leave your dirty dishes on the counter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's all pull on our phones. Youth sports are so cheap. Braces are so cheap. School fees are so cheap. Hey, can you come crawl in bed with me around 2 a.m.? Thanks. Okay, I just spent two hours making dinner, but if you don't like it, that's fine. Just let me know and I'll make you something else. Don't even bother looking for that. I'm sure it's lost and gone forever. Can somebody please throw something at my head? I mean, I can keep track of every single one of your things. I get a ton of sleep. I get a ton of gratitude from my children. I get a ton of unsolicited help with the housework. Oh, you don't have to hurry up. We're gonna be right on time. Can someone please throw something at the TV? Thanks for doing the laundry, everyone. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Can you use your outside voice? Ah! Fight, fight, fight! The floor of this vehicle is so clean, I can't believe it. Oh, good. Another trip to the grocery store today. Let's go. Somebody want to come use the bathroom while I'm in here? Yeah, my mom never said any of those things, and either did Laura. Um, but each of us probably do remember some things that our moms did say. You know, I was thinking of some things that I remember growing up. My mom would say if I was really slow or procrastinating, she would say, you're slower than molasses in January. And I don't know that I knew what molasses was. I don't think my mom cooked with molasses. Um, I thought that maybe it was a character from a, from a winter film or something. But um, a couple years later, I learned what it was. And I think we tried making cookies once. And I said, let's just go back to sugar. Um, if you didn't put your hair, if you didn't comb your hair, if, when, back when I had some, and you looked really disheveled or you yeah, just looked like a wreck, she would say, you look like the wreck of the Hesperus. Um, and I always heard her say, wreck of the Hespides, so I, I didn't, I, it was hard to look up. Um, apparently it's a boat that sank, so all right there. Um, and then uh, if we had to go somewhere really far out of the way, or it was a really inconvenient and long trip, she would say, oh, it was all the way in Timbuktu, which I didn't know was a real place. I assumed that that also was a, a fictional thing. So I have these uh, memories of things my mom said um, that, aren't unique necessarily in and of themselves, but they're special to me because of the person that I love who used to say them, or still sometimes does. So today though, I wanna talk about some of the things that our moms have said that have lasted with us, and, and maybe sometimes the things we've said to them that could have lasted with them if they weren't more gracious. You know, some of the things that, that parents say can last a lifetime. Um, whether it's the, the humorous things or sometimes the confusing or painful things. 
sometimes just the awkward things. Um, a lot of us uh, parents now, we joke about things that we've said to our kids that are going to mean they need counseling. Like, you know, after my rant at them this morning, my kids are going to need years of counseling. Or after my awkward birds and bees talk with Junior yesterday, I, I'm afraid he's going to need some counseling later on. Um, what is funny about that to me is that, you know, counseling really does help. And most of the experiences that I've had with both myself going to counseling or um, hearing others that I suggested go to counseling, sometimes what sends people to counseling or, or what can really, the, the precipitating reason to go um, is an action or it's a set of behaviors. But nearly all the time, that, that need for counseling, the benefit we gain from that, the presenting cause is something that was said to us or something that we continue to say or a relationship that deteriorates because of because of our words. So it is about words that I want to talk today about. Um, and if uh, your children have a grace-giving personality, if they have seen you as mom, dad, um, show grace to one another, um, you'll probably be blessed even when you do say the wrong things to your kids and uh, they'll forgive you um, and then they'll thank you for the counseling that they needed as well. So I I'm, I'm kind of blessed that way. Uh, Laura's and my oldest son um, was quite a handful as a middle schooler and a high schooler. Um, he was a sweet, just a, just a you know, perfect little boy in every way up until about seventh, eighth grade um, when he became really disinterested in school and super oppositional, kind of mean to his brother. Um, and kind of down on himself, which was the heart, most heartbreaking part of it all. And in the course of that, there were a few times when I said some things to him that um, had to have been hurtful. I, I tried not to say them, and I, and I thought of things never I would say, so then I said something else instead. And, you know, I just had this mess of feelings swirling inside of me, my, my fear about his future, my exhaustion at how he, how he would go off at the, at the, on the, what do you call it, just suddenly, um, at the drop of a hat, my aggravation at his aggravatingness, and sometimes my fear and anger at how he treated his younger brother. Um, so I said some things that, that had to be mean or hurtful. Well, they weren't intentionally mean, but, I, but they were hurtful. And you know what? After a couple of years, um, him maturing, my apology, um, and a really great self-discovery experience that uh, his mom and I sent him through. Uh, he found the ability and discovered the joy of being forgiving. And he's forgiven me, he's forgiven himself, uh, and he knows that uh, we've forgiven him too. Now, in fact, uh, this very morning, if you're watching this live, he's one of the sound guys at our uh, in-person services and he near ends nearly every phone call with me. This dad who hurt him with words, with four words of his own. And he says, bye, I love you. And every time I hear that, it makes me wanna cry. So I say, I love you and I hang up quick before I do. <laughs> so um, James's brother, uh, Jesus's brother James wrote this to the early church as it was getting started. He said, indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could, could also control ourselves in every way. Yeah, we do make mistakes and they usually happen because they're connected to our tongue. 
And you can read the whole thing in James chapter 3. It talks uh, much more about that. But it makes me think about today's message. So today's message isn't to moms and dads and the things our t- to, about the things our tongues might have said or things like in the video that I showed at the beginning. Because being a mom or dad, being a parent of, of any kind is an exhausting job and there's going to be lots of things that we say we wish we hadn't. Um, but God's grace for us is huge. And if we're blessed, we will live a life full of grace for our spouse, for our neighbor, for people who disagree with us, and for our children so that they will see that grace and by God's grace, um, incorporate that into their own life and show that same grace back to us. So no, today's message is about how parents respond when kids say or do things that hurt us. You know, toward the end of my seventh grade year, uh, my, my dad was a pastor also, and uh, we lived in this beautiful, big parsonage in rural Illinois that had a giant basement, and my dad had built me a giant train set out of three different ping pong tables, and I mean, he built himself the train set, and I just kind of helped and watched, but still, uh, we had all these, the cool things that happen, that can happen if you have a big house, a big basement. It had a big fireplace, maybe twice this size, um, just a lot of cool things in this parsonage, but, but they didn't own it because it was a church-owned parsonage. And um, my dad decided for our financial sake that he'd, he's going to try to buy a house. And so when, um, when we moved to, oh gosh, that's my phone. Can you hear that? And it's my son calling. He's going to tell me he loves me. I'll be back in just a second. <laughs> All right, you know, you think you turn everything on, do not disturb, but oh well. Sorry about that. We had this, this wonderful house, but uh, my, my dad knew we needed to have our own house or, or that was his financial plan for us. And so he was looking for another, another call, another, another church. And so in my seventh grade year, toward the end of that year, we moved to suburban Chicago. And it was also a, a wonderful church, but we had, a, we had a much smaller house. My mom and dad were able to swing for the first time. It was a small brick, two-story house on a beautiful street with big old elm trees and um, good schools and all this. So, so it, was, it was a upward move, I think, uh, as a family. And all the kids had their own room, um, except for, well, I had one too. My room, however, was kind of a build-out of the single-car garage. <laughs> so it had a space heater, like a wall, not a space heater, but the kind that you, you know, build into the wall. It's not part of the rest of the heating system. Um, and it was, ele- it was on a wood platform inside the garage. I think um, the last owner had left maybe, I think about maybe eight feet of the garage for parking bikes and lawnmowers and things. But So I had a really small bedroom off the kitchen in what used to be the garage. And I remember the first night we moved in, um, everybody was excited about it. And I was feeling a little bit shoved aside, like everybody else got to sleep upstairs and big rooms with real windows and I was sleeping in the old garage and I remember when my mom came in to tuck me in okay I was in seventh grade but my mom loved me and she tucked me in sometimes Um, she came and sat down on the bed and asked how I liked the house and how I was feeling and I I said to her something almost exactly like this I said I feel like this is our temporary house and that eventually we can move into a better one and my mom was so hurt and, I, and angry. 
she said to me, and I remember this pretty closely, she said, Dan, that makes me mad that you say that. Um, this is a, a nice house in a good neighborhood with really good schools. And this is what your dad and I were able to afford. And I don't remember if there was much more of the conversation. She wasn't like fly off the handle mad at a seventh grader, but I could tell I'd hurt her feelings. And I'm not ever even sure she told my dad I said that because I'm sure that would have hurt his feelings even more. Um, they were probably a little self-conscious that I was sleeping in the garage, which by the way, turned out to be a great benefit as a teenager, right? There was a huge window that I could walk in and out of. It was like at knee height. So, and then the, the door itself was right under the kitchen. So I had another back door entrance. I was close to the fridge. This was a win in the long run. But that night, that first night in the, in the house, I uh, was feeling pretty sorry for myself. And you know, so what did I say back to my mom? I probably said, sorry. But what did I learn from my mom? I learned that feelings are real and that it takes practice to get more empathetic about other people's feelings, to, to kind of read the room, as, as we say now. And my mom helped me learn that even as her feelings were hurt. Did you know that Jesus hurt his mom's feelings too? I mean, almost certainly. Like that one time, I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 2 if you want to open your Bibles. Uh, Luke 2, it starts at 41 when Jesus is 12 years old and he's going to the Passover festival with his parents or they're taking him with with this big kind of caravan of friends from Nazareth. Um, anyway, so I'll pick up in verse 43. It says, after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was with the other travelers, right? I mean, you're going as a group of friends from your hometown. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their friends and relatives. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers and listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And here's what Jesus said. Why did you need to look? Didn't you know that I had to be doing my father's stuff? But they didn't understand what he meant. Okay, it says, in my father's house, in the translation we're using here. But, but the Greek really means, about my father's affairs. So I just translated it, doing my father's stuff. Pious commentators will say, oh, he wasn't being rude. He was, he was acknowledging that her, his parents were slow to learn about his divinity, and so therefore he had to remind them that he was doing his father's work, and there was no, no rudeness intended. I'm like, the kid was 12 years old. We've all been 12, and he was fully human. So probably a little bit of sass there. But anyway, the next verse says, then Jesus returned to Nazareth, Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. You can tell Luke sticks that in there because everybody's reading it thinking, oh, that was kind of on the edge of obedient, saying that to your mom and dad. So that's why he writes obedient in the next verse. And then it says this, his mother stored all these things in her heart. You know, and then I think, well, what about Joseph? What about the dad? I mean, his feelings had to be wounded. I mean, Jesus had just said in front of the, all the scribes and Pharisees that he was talking to, to his mom and his dad, I'm in here doing my father's business. I mean, it's like, you're not my real dad. <sighs> well, speaking of real family, 
there's another thing. So that was when Jesus was 12, this last uh, passage. This next one comes when Jesus was, well, well, just starting his ministry, so about age 30. Um, Now we're in Mark chapter 3, if you want to open up. Mark 3, verse 20. One time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. So, just a little uh, snapshot here. Jesus was busy healing people, casting out demons, and his parents were worried about them. His family, it says, not his parents. His his family was worried about him. So his extended family, his mother, maybe, um, but relatives for sure, they came to try to gently pull him out of the public spotlight before he made more of a fool of himself, got in more trouble with the authorities, and probably put them at some risk socially, economically, or maybe even legally as well. So the family tried to intervene. But then a couple of verses later, verse 31, it, so we go from family to Jesus' mother and brothers in particular, and Luke writes this, I'm sorry, Mark, Mark writes this, then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. Has that ever happened to you? <clears throat> would, you tell, would you tell Daniel to come out and uh, talk to me out here? He didn't have permission to be at this party, right? Okay, just an example. Um, so they came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. By the way, some text, ancient manuscripts say brothers and sisters. Um, whatever that's worth. There's lots of people that love Jesus and they were all worried about him. Verse 33, Jesus replied, who is my mom? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mothers and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Boom, mom. (laughs) I mean, wow. So, so Jesus scared his mom and dad in Jerusalem and sassed them a little in front of the temple, dissed them a little in front of the temple teachers. I mean, the, the highest ranking Jewish people, really, religiously and culturally in their world. And then 30, what's 30 minus 12? Don't do this to me. 18. So then 18 years later, he kind of insulted his whole family publicly when, he, when they were just all worried about him. Ah, How did Jesus' mom respond to all this? How do you respond when your feelings get hurt? Privately or publicly, moms? Or or when you feel belittled or forgotten or maybe even insulted by your own child? You know, at, at 12 years old, Luke wrote that she thought about those things often and stored them in her heart. Mark, and when he's 30, 30 years old, we don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't say what their answer was, what their response was. But you know, what we do know about Mary, though, comes from a few verses later, a few verses, a few verses in John 19. Standing near the cross, the cross where Jesus had just been crucified on, where Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother Mary standing there beside the disciple he loved, whom we know as John, he said to her, Dear woman, this is your son. Here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple, John, 
took Mary into his home. What do you see there? I see Mary, his mother, supporting her son in his darkest, most painful and terrible hour. His, his most, his darkest hour, physically for sure. Just an unimaginably terrible thing. Can you imagine being the mom of a, of a young man strapped into an electric chair, strapped into a, a gurney, preparing for lethal injection? And you know he's there, as is often the case, wrongfully, right? I mean, he, he may, he's, he's an innocent man who's been sentenced to death. And there's nothing you can do, but you're there at his side or in our creepy modern world, you're in the viewing room. This is what's happening. Mary is next to her convicted, innocent son, watching him die. And any minute to take his last breath, Mary is there. And Jesus, before he loses consciousness, he, he sees his mother and, and his other friends, the, well, female friends, the, the guys, his disciples of all, except for John, they've all flew the coop. Jesus remembered his mother and kindly, lovingly, and maybe just a little teasingly because he calls her woman instead of mom. He says to her in her scariest hour, I love you, mom. John's going to take care of you. I wish I could still be the one to do it. And I'm grateful that you brought me into this world loved me all the way through it and I'll see you on the other side. The conversation that Jesus had with his mom on the cross to me is foundational to my understanding of child-parent relationships. At the end of life in this hardest, most inscrutably difficult time, a son, a child, a daughter, it's incumbent on us, right, to honor our father and mother. And Jesus did that even from the cross, even after occasionally, and probably memorably for his mom, it was certainly memorable for the gospel writers, <laughs> hurting his mom's feelings. And parents, for those of us that, uh, that we have some apologizing to do or that we have some words of the tongue that we rue, it's also a good reminder that just because we've been wounded, cast aside, insulted, that's not, that's not an excuse, it's not permission, and in no way is it, uh, is it God's will that that then causes us to return the hurt and abandon the child that we are called to love. So yeah, the conversation with my mom there on that uh, garage turned bedroom bed that first night that I lived in that new house um, taught me that people who love each other can hurt each other especially when we don't read the clues especially when we don't think outside our own discomfort especially when we don't love each other enough to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes people can who love each other can indeed hurt each other and I also learned from the way my mom responded that hurt that doesn't get transformed gets transferred, right? My mom helped me get perspective. She reminded me how difficult it was for them financially to afford this, 
how excited and kind of proud they were that they had been able to do this for us and how sad they were to hear that I was being ungrateful about such a trivial, trivial small part of this overall gigantic blessing. She helped me think through my feelings and imagine what hers and my dad's were. You know, and Jesus' interaction with his mom can teach me some things too, teach us some things. Like moms, if even Jesus hurt his own mom's feelings, what's gonna, <laughs> why would you expect not to have your kids hurt yours, right? And what's our goal in raising our kids? Is it to raise kids who never ever hurt their mom's feelings? That wasn't Mary's goal. Mary's goal was to, was to raise a child who understood why he was put on this earth and to give him the love and support and sometimes the discipline and the shaping to help him achieve that. Yeah, his mother's mission was to try to raise a son who could discover his place in the world as the Messiah and then to support him and cheer him on, to give him the emotional skills and probably Joseph played a big part in this too, the, the self-discipline to make that mission come true. If you're a parent like me, a parent like Laura, you know that one of the most biggest joys that you could get is not always being treated super perfectly by your children, but by seeing your children thrive as perfectly as possible with the gifts and the personality that God gave them. So, so moms, heck dads, grandparents, child raisers in every way, all right? And children of any age that are watching. These are my parting words for you today. So St. Paul wrote to a small church in modern Turkey um, in a town called Colossae. Um, he wrote the following words that I'm gonna read to you. But they're also his words to a modern family. And I'm gonna ask you, even though he was writing to Christians in general, to, to think of this in the context of being a mom or dad or, or child, adult child now, of a parent, and about how this might apply to your walk as a follower of Christ, who loves your mother, <laughs> who loves your father, for all their imperfections, and who honors them with your tongue. Let's listen. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature now and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ dwell and rule in your hearts for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful let the message about christ and all its richness fill your lives teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives 
sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. In other words, bring them to church. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Happy Mother's Day, Holly. <laughs> and those of us that are kids, those of us who've had moms, happy hard work <laughs> of repenting for the things you said that were dumb, asking for grace, and telling your moms once again what a blessing and gift they have been to you in all their wonderful, wonderful imperfections. I love you. My mom loves you. Have a happy Mother's Day.